Hello everyone and welcome to the Business as Usual podcast for January 2021. Um, just a few notes before we get started. I'm on my own this month because uh, Mike's feeling a little bit under the weather and has done for the first couple of weeks of January. Um, obviously this is late, we usually try and get them out at the start of the month, but with the uh, country going into lockdown and with there being some uncertainty about what was going to happen with exams, we thought it was a good idea to sort of give it a couple of weeks, figure out what was actually happening before we before we spoke because it was one of those where you kind of think if we put this out straight away it's going to be very quickly uh, out of date so this won't be as long as normal obviously because when you're on your own you can't really have that kind of conversation but I do want to make sure we hit sort of the key marks the key things that we usually go through so without further ado let's get started So in this month's um, episode, we're going to do a couple of key news headlines. We'll talk about exams, obviously. We'll talk about school being closed because, you, you, you know, you can't not. We will talk about the SWOT analysis in five minutes. That's going to be our topic for five minutes. And then we're going to do a student misconception of the month as well about why, um, about this misconception that businesses should always be looking to grow and get bigger. So before... But before we look at some news stories, and I have got a few, well, I've got one big news story, which is which is something I've obviously talked about a lot on here already. Um, but before I get into that, it's worth just addressing the fact that we're in lockdown again, and schools are closed currently, though obviously operating remotely, and exams have been cancelled. We've, we've been here before in the sense, I mean, certainly I have last year, because we had this situation, but this one's different. And um, First things first, We've been in lockdown since the start of, of January. Um, we don't know how long we're going to be in this situation for. It at, at first it was it was kind of muted that we'd be back after February half term. I think that's very unrealistic, and I think that's very unlikely. I think we're going to be doing this remote learning for a little while longer than that, and I would hope that we maybe we'll be able to be able to get back in by by Easter and get back in front of students and get back in classrooms. Um, what needs to happen for that to happen? Well, we need to get a better handle on this new this new sort of strain of the COVID virus. We need to get more people vaccinated, um, and it's and it's spreading like crazy. I mean, I you know as a as a thirty one year old man, know more people who've had coronavirus over the last three weeks than I knew over the first ten months. So it is really important that we're doing things sensibly. But but obviously there is an end in sight. But obviously, we can't be too careful because, you know, until we get to that end in sight, there are still a lot of people dying each day because of this. And so we need to make sure we, we sort of get it right before we go back. And in the meantime, we'll do our best with the remote learning. I'm sure every teacher feels the same. It is different and it's not as it's not as good. I'm not going to pretend that it is as good. It's, you lose out on a lot of the discussion when you're on a Teams call. You lose out on a lot of the just the interaction with students, which I think is a really important part of, you know, of teaching. And obviously to that end, the government have decided that it's not really fair to do exams in the, you know, there's a there's a lot of students who will miss out on a lot of content. That was happening before Christmas, to be honest, because if you had to isolate for a couple of weeks, you were losing time. I mean, at no point did I actually at any point have the coronavirus, but I had to isolate on different occasions twice. And so ended up losing about 10 days of school because of, of isolation, you know, um, someone who had a positive test was in the classroom next door and so our phones were close enough together that I got tagged on the app 
on the app and had to miss a week. So there's it was never going to be fair, and I think this was probably always inevitable because you'd, you'd have some students in certain areas, especially areas where they've been more affected by COVID, who would have missed a lot of time. And it's not fair to ask them to go into these exams alongside and you know it's not a competition obviously because everyone's you know they're competing against you're competing against the exam paper you're not competing against each other but some people would have been disproportionately affected by school closures and what have you um you know teacher illness and and things like that that it was it was probably inevitable that exams would have been cancelled they have said that although exams have been cancelled that teacher assessments will be used to grade students and as far as i gather from what Gavin Williamson said the other day, it looks like he's going to encourage the exam boards to provide some sort of assessment resources to schools to help with that, which won't obviously be an exam and it will be down to the teacher's discretion as to what, you know, parts of that they use and how they use it. But it does mean that then at least, you know, you know that the resources you're using are of a high quality and have been sort of vetted by an exam board and quality assured and everything. So, I mean, I all I can really speak from is, is my plan. I plan on teaching as normal as, as best I can and using my assessment structure as best I can as well and making sure that ultimately when it comes down to it, the grades that, that, that my school and I give our students are grades that our students will agree are fair. They'll be based around the assessments and, and the, the work that my students have done over the last year and over the last year and a half and two years by the end of the course um, to, to try and... I mean, I, I said to my students last week when we talked about it on, on our team's calls, at the end of the day, when they get their grade, I want them to look at their grade and I want them to look at their grades over the course of the two, of the two years, but especially year 13, obviously, and the mocks that we do this year and think, okay, fair enough, you know, given the grades I've got, that's fair. And so I'm assuming that that's what every teacher will do. Moving on from that, big news story, which, you know, over the last four years, I think we're all sick of talking about it, but it is important and it's really, really important to business students. But Brexit has happened now. As of the 1st of January 2021, the UK is no longer in the EU Single Market and Customs Union and it's having a, a significant impact on businesses. And I want to look at that a little bit and I want to make sure that I'm when I say you know all of this, it's really difficult to talk about Brexit without making it political. You know, I don't, you know, it's happened, whatever my personal opinions are or anyone else's personal opinions really don't matter. Um, but as a business teacher and as business students, we've got to be aware of the impact that Brexit has on businesses, especially when you get towards, say, theme four, for example, of the Excel specification, where there's a lot to talk about globalization and protectionism, because Brexit effectively is born out of protectionism. And we've seen evidence of that with Jacob Rees-Mogg, which you know, I've put this as the news story just to kind of lighten it a little bit because it is obviously ridiculous and laughable. But um, Jacob Rees-Mogg said this week that fish are happier now that they're in British waters. Um, better and happier, apparently. Um, yeah, I mean, what else can you say about that, really? There's been some controversy about that because one of the one of the key industries, even though it makes up such a small percentage of our GDP and our employment, but one of the key industries in the Brexit talk was our fishing industry. And it looks like so far, it's been a bit of a shaky start. There's a quote in here um, from the Commons leader, Tommy Shepard, who says that boats have been confined to harbours, lorry loads of seafood is being destroyed because they're not able to actually get it out of the country and into these, into these sort of export markets. 
And they're reckoning that the industry in itself is losing one million a day because firms are going bust. And all of this is because of the Brexit red tape. And so there are obviously going to be growing pains and hopefully they'll get better. Hopefully as time moves on, we will have um, more sort of clear practices set in place for a lot of these export markets. But certainly in the short term, it is it is proving to be an issue. Uh, to go a little bit further than that, there's a lot of a lot of new a lot of small businesses are finding that they're being hit with with new export charges. So when you export something to a to a foreign country, if you're part of a trading block, you typically get a free trade, which means that there are no tariffs and there are no quotas. And so as a result, it is supposed to be obviously logistically it's a bit difficult, a little bit more difficult, a bit more expensive because you're sending things further. But the general rule is that it's it's supposed to be as easy as selling to someone within your own country. Um, with obviously there's going to be currency changes and, and what have you. But there are, according to, you know, reports so far in the first sort of 17 days of, of this new UK, there have been quite a few charges that I don't know if a lot of these businesses expected. So looking at there's an example here um, from Leon Paul, who is one of his companies, part of the the DTI's export champion community so they are they've done obviously quite a lot to prepare for this they've said that they've been hit by quite a few new charges that they weren't expecting and um, the first is an export levy which he reckons for his business is going to be 160,000 a year and effectively couriers are calling it a Brexit charge because there's an export fee of £4.50 for every parcel that is shipped to the, UK, to the EU and that covers the cost of extra administration and form filling that couriers must carry out. Um, there's a deferment account fee of £5 per parcel that covers couriers' cost of prepaying import charges in the destination country. And third, there's a disbursement charge, which is different for each EU country, but it's at least €14 Euros per, parcel, per parcel, or it's calculated a percentage of the value of the goods. So obviously, the more um, expensive the good is, the more that fee is going to be. And he's, I mean, his perspective basically was that and they do a lot of business with, it says here, almost a third of their 7 million annual turnovers to customers in, in EU countries. He reckons that small orders of anything under £100 are just going to, they're just not going to have a profit margin. And so, and the quote at the end, which says, jobs lost will be lost here. That's the reality. All of these fees will come straight off of profit margins. So it just goes to show that when you, when you have a big political change like this, um, it has a big impact on businesses. I have a friend who works for a one of my best friends works for a tea company, and part of his part of his business is he manages the exports to Ireland, which previously was as straightforward as just putting something on the back of a lorry and letting it go. And um, I think he spent a lot of hours this week where um, he was just filling in paperwork that he never had to fill in before, just to get things across across to, to Ireland. And so these are these are some of the challenges involved with, with the Brexit happening. Um, there will obviously hopefully be advantages as well and hopefully a lot of these these problems will be, you know, figured out as time goes on and as, as sort of, you know, policy and paperwork can, maybe can hopefully be can hopefully be shrunk a little bit so that we can become a little bit more efficient. But it's clear to see that the immediate impact hasn't necessarily been that positive. So moving on, let's have a look at the SWOT analysis in five minutes. And a SWOT analysis is a key tool for business planning. And you'd quite often see a SWOT analysis being done 
I mean, it should be something that's done fairly regularly, but more formally, you're probably more likely to see a SWOT analysis being carried out, maybe when there's a new leader coming in or when there's a need for a change in direction. And, and what it does is it's split into two parts, and I'm going to look at it into two parts. You've got the strengths and weaknesses, and then you've got the opportunities and the threats. And the strengths and weaknesses look at the past and present, like what is our current position, what's going well, you know, what has gone well, and what has gone poorly, and where are we right now? So you're kind of looking backwards and looking at right now. And then the opportunities and threats section is where businesses will look forward and try and figure out what's going on in the future or what potentially could go on in the future. So strengths and weaknesses to start off, just some ideas of different things that businesses could consider when doing a SWOT analysis and looking at strengths and weaknesses. Think about things like, you know, what do they have going for them? Do they have a unique selling point? Do they have a focus of differentiation and some feature that might allow them to be differentiated? Do they have operational advantages? Like, do they have highly skilled staff or do they have production techniques that are, that are you know, unique to them and that, that make them very, very efficient? These are things that aren't necessarily always going to be the case, but they're the case now. And so as a result, it's effectively our advantages and disadvantages are, are sort of benefits and weaknesses. Do they have any valuable assets? Do they have intellectual property? Do they have any powerful brands? Do they have any patents that are potentially valuable in helping them create that differentiation? Or do they have just, have they got assets, you know, have they got assets that are worth a lot of money and that are productive and that are of a good quality? You've also got to think about the weaknesses though, and, and all of those that I've mentioned so far could be weaknesses, but also think about, are there any areas in which your competitors are currently better? Not could be better, not necessarily were better, but are they better now than, than you or your business? And so in which areas are they better do they have more powerful brands do they have you know that level of unique selling point that maybe you don't have and also are there any limitations in the resources that the business has do they have a lot of finance and therefore are they available are they able to use finance to help grow their business um, are they limited in terms of the staff that they've got you could have poor leadership you could have poorly skilled staff you could have a lack of motivation or a poor culture any of those things could be perceived as obviously strengths if they're good, weaknesses if they're not. Looking forward, think about your opportunities and threats. So consider the consider the following. You know, are the markets that you're operating in projected to grow or projected to decline? Are there new markets that are likely to appear in your sort of industry that you potentially could exploit or potentially might get beaten to by other businesses in your market? Are there any political or legal changes that could happen? And would they have a positive impact or negative? And of course, they could be positive or negative. What are your competitors doing? As in, not what your competitors are now, right now. What are your competitors doing in the future? Are they launching new products? Are they developing existing products? Are they hitting new markets? In some cases, you might even find that some competitors are doing poorly. You know, certainly in the retail sector, there's quite a lot of examples of businesses that are kind of um, scaling back their operations due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, are there trends changing in a way that might be a positive or a negative, especially if you're online in particular, that might be something that might benefit you currently. Has there been any media coverage that could potentially have an impact, positive or negative? What's your reputation like and is that likely to improve or, or you know, get worse? And I'll put the last one there. Are they expecting a global pandemic? Because it's clear that when something like that happens, you know, the threat of something unforeseen a threat of something that you could very, very, it'd be very difficult to prepare for, but that could happen. And you've obviously got to try and at least be aware of that. That's kind of what the whole scenario planning and planning for change sections of courses are about. 
Lastly, from this month's podcast, I want to talk about this misconception of the month. And it's something that I think, you know, this came to my attention a little bit more presently because I was marking a mock exam that my students had done. And there was a topic on there about why should a business stay small? And I think there's probably a lot of students who think that businesses should always be looking to grow and get bigger. And I I can understand that. I can understand that mentality. But in reality, it's not always the best idea. Certainly, it depends on the objectives of the business and the objectives of the person owning the business. If your objective is profit maximization and growth, then obviously you're going to need to grow. But that might not be the case. The, The objective might be to you know, build a position within a market and solidify that position. And it might not actually be about getting bigger and making more and more profit. It might just be about fulfilling a social objective or, you know, profit satisfying, making enough to live a good quality life. And so in in circumstances like that, it might actually be beneficial to stay at a certain size and not overexpand your operations and take on more risk. Certainly, another thing to consider is, does the business target a niche market? And is the quality of their unique selling point or differentiation based around the level of service and the quality of service that they provide to their customers? Because if so, getting bigger actually can make that a lot more difficult. If you've got far more consumers and customers and clients that you're dealing with, the ability to give them the same level of quality service might be diminished. And so as a result, sometimes you know, sometimes businesses want to remain small so that they can maintain control over the niche that they're operating within. So there's a variety of different reasons why it's not always the right idea to want to get bigger. Sometimes it is a good idea to stay at the size you're at. Um, survival is obviously the key objective for every business, um, even big businesses. We've seen enough examples over the last few months on this podcast to know that not all businesses, big or small, are you know guaranteed survival. So that's obviously a primary aim. But it could just be a case of, you know, trying to weather the storm. Certainly at the moment, there'll be a lot of businesses, big businesses in in the pub industry, in the restaurant industry and in the entertainment industry, like cinemas and everything like that and theatres. Their objective won't be to grow right now. Their objective will just be to survive and be, be there to sort of fight another day when the pandemic is over and things hopefully go back to normal. So I know it was a little bit shorter, but hopefully there was some interesting and valuable stuff in there. Um, Thank you for watching. If you would like to download any of the resources, please visit our website, which is www.edifyed.co.uk forward slash business. And make sure you remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at businessaupod. And we will see you in February. Thank you very much.